Speaks Radio. Today we're going to be doing a video interview so you can either watch us or listen uh, to your iPad or whatever uh, mode you, you like to use. We are going to be talking about something I think really important and that's the spiritual needs of people living with dementia and the changes that need to occur to help them to still be able to be part of their, of their religious community. And so before I introduce our guests, I always like to tell people a little bit about Alzheimer Speaks because we're always getting new listeners. Um, I'm Lori LeBay. I'm the founder of Alzheimer Speaks, and I created it to raise everyone's voice and to help connect us to all the resources, tools, and products that we need. And I switched careers in order to be able to do this because my mom lived with the disease for 30 years, and that means so did, so did the rest of my family. And I, I truly believe that there is a, a more gracious way for us to, to walk this journey with them and to learn the gifts that, that they behold us as well. So today we have a couple of real movers and shakers with us, and I'm, I'm really excited. I'm going to first introduce uh, Linda Everman. I've known her for quite a while, and she is a voice that... Um, will not be quieted and she has really um, spent most of her adult life as a caregiver for her mom who was paralyzed by a stroke, her dad with vascular dementia, and then her husband with Alzheimer's disease. Linda, like I said, is just a fierce advocate for um, all the dementias and she is really well known for her work with fellow advocate uh, Kathy uh, Siggins who they, they pushed through the first Alzheimer's disease research semi-postal stamp back in November of 2017. And they worked on that for years and did not give up. And it was just an amazing feat to, to watch as a, as a colleague and a fellow advocate, their dedication. And that has not shallowed or lightened in any sense. Uh, Linda just continues to push through. She is the founding member of three national networks under the umbrella of Us Against Alzheimer's. And if you're not familiar with them, you write it down and make sure you go there, Us Against Alzheimer's. They are a fabulous group doing wonderful work. And one of the networks is Clergy Against Alzheimer's. And thus, kind of what the topic we're going to be talking about today, Linda was also honored with the inaugural Us Against Alzheimer's Advocate of the Year in 2018. So welcome, Linda. I am just thrilled to have you here with us today. Thank you, Lori. So sitting next to Linda is uh, Dr. Don Weddorf, and he is a retired psychologist and marriage and family therapist. Don took care of his wife, who was disabled by a stroke for 15 years while he was still working. And then in 2013, he retired to meet his wife's increased needs. And 
since then, she, she passed away in March of 2014. Don has helped care for his mother-in-law with cancer, his father with Parkinson's, and his mother with Alzheimer's. So these two are a pair of caregivers. There's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. Don currently serves on the board for Cognitive Dynamics Foundation, and he his written book prior to this, one I will just mention was dealing with emotional struggles in caregiving called Caregiver Carols, a musical and emotional memoir. So welcome to the show, Don. Thank you, Lori. Appreciate it. Now, one thing I have to tell you about these two is they're not just colleagues. They worked on a project together and uh, now are married. And so um, they are taking care of one another, which is, is so neat. They were working on the book, Seasons of Care, uh, Caring, Meditations for Alzheimer's and Dementia Caregivers, which everyone I've talked to who has read that book, it just clamors over it and raves about it. It's... Um, it is, it is really a, a fantastic book. They have also served as editors for the uh, Leader's Guide for that book, and um, also The Treasure for Alzheimer's. Both were written by Dr. Richard Morgan. They have served as senior editors for Dementia Friendly Worship, the multi-faith handbook for chaplains, clergy, and faith communities, which is what we're gonna talk about today. And so these two are, are just powerful in their own rights, and together there's absolutely no stopping them. They are fabulous speakers, <laughs> and um, they are, they're just a dy dy our dynamic duo in the dimension <laughs> era. We're going to have to get you a little capes, I guess. <laughs> yeah, I like the capes. Like Brian LeBlanc. Yeah, like Brian LeBlanc. <laughs> So I'm going to have a uh, start out and I'm just going to ask you to to talk a little bit about your personal stories about being touched by dementia. Linda, I'll have you go first. Well, thank you, Lori. Well, um, as you know, I was a caregiver for my dad and for my late husband uh, for 18 years. Dad had vascular dementia and Richard had Alzheimer's. So, um, you know, I really didn't think a lot about advocacy during those days, you know, as most caregivers don't. But um, when I had to move Richard to assisted living in 2009, I made my first advocacy trip to the state capitol, crying all the way there, all the time I was there and all the way home. Um, but, you know, I just kept going because um, like you, like other caregivers, um, once you've experienced that, you want to do all that you can um, to alleviate the um, difficulty of this disease for others. Exactly. Thank you. Don, can you share a little bit more about your story? Yeah. Uh, my late wife had, uh, as you say, strokes. It was really a whole series of strokes and TIAs, you know, that accumulated and did damage over many years. And she had some dementia with that, although in some ways the physical stuff was just was really as trying and as, as stressful. Um, and so that, that book that you were mentioning about caregiver carols, um, I actually wrote that while I was taking care of her. And it was a way of dealing with my own emotional stress. And I realized 
this could be helpful, hopefully, to some other folks who are going through the same kind of stress. And so I was coming at it as both a caregiver and as a psychologist dealing with stress and emotional issues and stuff. And I had already written a book on um, marriage, how to do a healthy marriage. And because I can't stand self-help books, um, I wrote both of those books primarily in song lyric form because I'm also a musician. Um, and I thought that would make it more accessible, but it also brought home to me the power of the expressive arts. Um, and I had experienced that to some extent with people who have, are, are living with dementia, but also for caregivers. Uh, so okay, kept that involvement up. And it was a piece from that caregiver carols that I submitted to Linda and Danny Potts, um, who were editing the seasons of caring book. Uh, so it's really a song. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Wonderful. We'll have to get you on the new TV series. What is that one? So where they write the songs and they play them for the musicians and see if they get picked. <laughs> well, if you got the money, honey, I got the time. <laughs> Songland. That's what it's called. Songland. Oh, gosh. Now, a lot of people after, you know, they have been on this caring journey, they just, they just boot, you know, they don't want to have anything to do with it. Linda, what, what pulled you in? You, you said you, you really had a, a need to want to help others not suffer. Well, we're going to talk about it a little later in the show, but um, what really started me on this was, and I can remember the day that it happened, is when I um, was thinking to myself about the breast cancer semi-postal stamp. And um, I'm driving down the highway, and I thought to myself, hey, you know, we need a stamp for Alzheimer's. And then the next thought that came into my mind was, well, I guess I'll just get one. Well, little did I know, you know, so um, that was probably around 2009. And um, I had no idea of what it would take. Um, but I began that campaign and I began to reach out. And um, it was very hard for me to talk about my caregiving. And it still is. I mean, that's very, very draining for me. Um, but instead, I could put my energies into advocacy um, for legislation, for um, increased funding for research, for um, um, efforts that move us to better treatments, um, ending the stigma, uh, uh, moving forward. It's very hard for me to move back into that space of being a caregiver, but I can look with, you know, with hope to the future and see so many um, areas where we can devote our time to make a difference. Okay, great. Well, I, I love your, your honesty in that in terms of, you know, I don't want to go back, but, but I, I know what it was like and I know what's needed and I can make a difference moving forward um, instead of just um, booking. And, and I, I understand and appreciate not everybody can do that, um, but we do need people like you and Don um, and myself and so many others that, that are trying to raise a voice, trying to push things forward. Donna, how about you? What was your trigger point in advocacy? 
Uh, I had already done a little bit locally before I met Linda and Danny Potts. I had uh, spoken at some local caregiver kind of support meetings and, and played music for uh, Alzheimer's of Central Alabama and some of the memory care units around here. I'd already done that a little bit, uh, but I really got drug into it much more uh, <laughs> after I met her. And... Uh, <laughs> Because that's what husbands do. <laughs> no, but as I got into to doing more and more of it, I, it just kind of grew on itself. Um, I play a lot of music, and my favorite gigs are always playing memory care units or uh, adult daycare programs or respite care or those kind of things. Uh, it's just it's so meaningful and satisfying. But also, both Linda and I, during our caregiving days, had been very helped. Uh, very just enormously helped by uh, local faith communities. I mean, there were people while I was still working, for example, uh, people from my late wife's church who actually took care of her all day, every day while I worked. Um, so we both kind of had the desire to pay it forward in some way to do for others what had been done for us. Wonderful. Thank you. Now, Don, while I have you, I'm going to have you continue because this book that you guys are doing, um, Dementia Friendly Worship, a multi-faith handbook for chaplains and clergy and faith communities. How did that come about? I think originally the idea uh, and the people that uh, drug us in with the idea were uh, Will Randolph, who at that point was in Nashville. He's now back in uh, Pennsylvania uh, working as a chaplain and uh, retired sort of 90 year old chaplain and uh, pastor uh, Richard Morgan, who's in Pennsylvania. And they really wanted to fill a void, which was that there wasn't much out there in the literature for clergy, pastors, rabbis, chaplains, whoever, lay people, anybody who wanted to try and minister to the worship and spiritual needs of persons living with dementia. There just wasn't a lot of literature out there. And so they uh, contacted us about getting together and we sat down with Will in Nashville, which is just about three hours away from us. Uh, for a five-hour lunch and <laughs> talked over the whole thing and decided, okay, well, we'll fill in the void. Let's see if we can't get some contributors and, and find some experts that will contribute services, prayers, ideas for how to do this. And so we wanted a real practical down-to-earth, you can pick this thing up and, and do it kind of book. And then it exploded. Wow. Linda, anything you want to add? Um, you know, I think one of the things that Don touched on that was important was during our years of caregiving, there wasn't a lot out there. And um, I was probably 15 years into the journey of caregiving when I read um, Dr. Richard Morgan's book. He's the 90-year-old retired um, pastor and chaplain. And he and another founding member of Clergy Against All Alzheimer's, Jane Tebalt, had written, No Act of Love is Ever Wasted the spirituality of caring for people with dementia. And that uh, friend at my church that I was attending gave that to me when it first came out, and it was so transformative to me and so helpful to me. So um, basically, um, the seeds for this book really began in the loving uh, contribution of um, the First United Methodist 
church in Maryville, Tennessee, where I was living at the time while I was caring for my late husband. I saw um, the power of um, what a faith community could do to support um, caregivers, to be advocates, to raise awareness. Um, and I just thought, you know, with us against Alzheimer's, we'd already had the activist network that you and I were founders of. But um, I thought, let's take it another step and involve men and women of faith. And so it just, once you start pulling others in, they offer ideas and it grows and you just, you know, help each other. Yeah, Richard Morgan is really a pioneer in the whole field of looking at the spirituality of aging, spirituality of dementia, spirituality involved in caregiving. So we kind of started at the top. Yeah, he's a fascinating fellow. Um, I've, I've interviewed him before and um, just it, it's and Linda, I think you're right. It, it, it really is about you have these discussions and it's just such a practical need. You know, I think sometimes things get mucked down because we make it too complicated. But if we just get down to the, the basics of, of our human needs and, and how, how can we do that as a community? How can we support one another? Um, it becomes much easier. And, and I think there's a lot of people thinking the same thing, but they, they need someone to kind of come light the fire. And, and gather around the, the campground, um, per se. So with the book, Linda, who exactly is your uh, you know, intended audience? Is it just the person with dementia, or is it them and their family and friends, or is it everybody? It's actually everybody. Um, the book is written for um, clergy, for chaplains, for faith communities. And um, originally, um, Will and Richard, when we first spoke with them about it, said, you know, in the time, um, you know, that we've been involved in advocacy, thank goodness, there's now a lot of books that help caregivers. But there aren't a lot of books that help people with dementia. So, um, and both of them, being clergy themselves, um, were chagrined that, um, they felt there wasn't more out there to give clergy the tools that it wasn't that. And as we talked to pastors, you know, priests, congregational care staff, because last year we visited about 50 in our community. Um, it wasn't that they didn't want to, it's that they didn't quite know how to, they didn't know how to start the conversation. You know, they were concerned about um, saying the right thing. Um, you know, so um, so we see this as a tool for people in the field. We see it as a training tool in chaplaincy programs and seminaries. Um, we see it for people of faith who just want to connect with their loved one in a meaningful and spiritual way. Um, you don't have to have a caller on to um, minister to another person. You know, we often talk about the ministry of presence. Well, our contributors are very um, far ranging, very diverse, um, everywhere from uh, lay persons who have been caregivers themselves to scholars to, um, you know, um, for instance, to um, Dr. Eller, 
who edited the uh, journal on spirituality and aging for 25 years. So, I mean, a very uh, broad and diverse group of contributors. And very broad and diverse in terms of faith orientation, too. And we purposefully wanted it to be multi-faith. Dementia is not a respecter of faith. And we wanted this to be accessible to all sorts of different people to reach all sorts of different people. So we have Christian, Buddhist, Muslim, Sikh Dharma, um, Jewish. Am I leaving anything out? We got, we got a little bit of everything. And, and that was very purposefully done. Native American. Native American, although that's, yeah, at least gives some basic issues about uh, addressing the the spiritual needs of uh, different Native American groups. And one of the things that we were very excited about was um, we all learned so much, you know, from everyone. We had a team of editors. So um, it was amazing to me um, how much we all grew in our own education and our knowledge as um, each of the contributions came in. Yeah, it was also amazing how even coming from very different experiences, even different faith traditions, people kept coming up with the same kinds of um, insights, understandings, suggestions, ideas. Uh, It really came together beautifully with a lot of work, but beautifully. (laughs) Well, and I, I think that that is so neat. And I know that happened with the, the last book as well, because I remember talking to somebody and, and I, I want to say it was a rabbi that said, I saw the most beautiful Catholic prayer. He's like, I'm going to be using that. You know? and, and I, to me, that's one of the things that I kind of scream from the ceilings when I go out and speak is like, we have to stop looking at our differences and looking at our commonalities. We have so much more alike and and that builds bonds instead of building walls and barriers and and that approach I think is just it's a very simple one but we don't seem to do it well in society these days. I'm glad you said that Lori because uh, that's an important point for us we we hope that people who read the book will really read the whole book because and not just say okay well I'm Methodist let me go through the table of contents and pick out the Methodist there's something in every one of those chapters that's going to be useful. Oh, I, I totally, totally believe believe you on that. Now, the the book sounds like it just kind of kept growing and growing and and growing. What was what was your initial base going to be with the book, and then what kind of made it just spiral out, Linda? Well, the initial base was going to be to. Um, provide um, really very practical uh, outlines of worship services, you know, how to do worship. And, um, of course, that expanded from um, congregational worship to um, one service in the book that I especially love um, was a a um, multi-faith service that involved... um, six different congregations and um this happened in waco texas and um the, it was a community planning to achieve this and of course you know you can't do this all the time or maybe you could do it once a year but they they all planned it and they had um the um faith leaders from each of the congregations to give a prayer um in this service 
they had they brought in the gerontology students from Baylor to uh, line the sanctuary so that uh, care partners could bring their loved ones with dementia to participate. But if their uh, the persons living with dementia wanted to get up and wander, no problem because the students were there to um, accompany them. And um, so anyway, it went from those uh, corporate or congregational responses to then people writing about um, improv improvised um, worship services, going to um, visit their mother or their aunt in assisted living, and on the way out, hearing someone in a room that needed some help and going in and um, praying with that person or, um, you know, so it just, it's, it's very, very um, wide ranging in, in that regard. So that's the center part of it. Yeah. yeah. And we also realized that we had to have some material in there that said, all right, what do you need to know in particular about working in, in a spiritual context with people who are living with dementia. What do you need to know about dementia itself? What do you need to know about what's going on uh, that will particularly address their needs at their stage of dementia? Um, because it can be different. And so we, end, we we have an introductory section, for example, where it really gets into that. There's a, sort of a, a Danny Potts is a neurologist, for example. He does uh, an introductory section that very much is saying, this is what dementia is. This is what happens with it. This is what goes on. This is how it develops. This is how it affects people's ability to participate in worship or other kind of spiritual experiences. And you need to know how to what that is to do that. So it really got into a lot of um, understanding what's going on with people with dementia and, and how that affects spirituality and what that means. Because if you don't know those things and you don't know how to interact with somebody who is dealing with some cognitive limitations, some communication limitations, sensory limits, all these different kind of limitations, then it's going to be very hard to address that. And so uh, that we start off with that. So, one of the things that we really love about that introductory section is that um, Danny talks not just about what the limitations of cognitive impairments are, but he talks about the abilities that remain. And there are actually three chapters in the introduction. The, um, the next chapter is written by Reverend Lynn Postle, who works with Tifa Snow, and she talks about worship adaptations. And then um, Rabbi Carrie Cosberg who um, was the director of an assisted living community for, I believe, 25 years, um, gives us some very practical um, uh, suggestions that he gleaned from all of those years of working in that capacity. Yeah, these are things like um, shorten your service. Uh, don't make it too cerebral. Use a lot of visual cues, a lot of music, incorporate a lot of music. Go with uh, uh, prayers that people are familiar with, um, things that are, are going to be much more readily used and are not going to exhaust someone who has a short attention span. Um, make it much more interactive. These kinds of things, real practical. 
Did did anyone mention in in their writings um, anything about larger prints, you know, or smaller books for people to be able to follow? Because I, I think that that that's something that can be confusing and difficult. And even if a person can't follow, they want to appear that they are, you know, in terms of mannerisms. Um, I, I've talked with a lot of um, different churches and well, just different gathering places as a whole and one of the things that I I don't know if you're familiar with Steve Orfield but he he does a lot of research on on physic physicality and and comfort with aging and dementia and so he has like the quietest um, room in the world in his research lab he does a lot with sound and color and all kinds of stuff and so one of the things he when I went out there to um to see his his lab, one of the things he said was, you know, I get called out to churches all the time, and the people in the back say they can't hear. So now they have, you know, 55,000 speakers all blaring, but none of them are working together, and he says it actually makes it worse, because it's not, it's still, they're not pointed or angled or, the, the, you know, at the, at the right frequency to do what they want to do. And so sometimes I think we try to answer the questions, but we don't go deep enough to get the correct answers with stuff like that. Because, you know, who would have known, you know, if it's not loud enough, you, you click up, you get a sound. <laughs> who would have known that certain colors, uh, you know, physically make us calmer or perkier? I mean, most of us don't know a lot of that detail or flooring if it's shiny you know or looks slippery or is going to look like a hole all of those things come into play as well I would imagine it's in the book thank you <laughs> you know those were addressed in the book so I'm really happy that you brought those up because for instance um Rabbi um, Jim Michaels addresses large type there's a whole section on the book beyond worship that um is called um, creating dementia-friendly faith communities. And we actually like to call them dementia-active faith communities. And so they address the physical um, requirements, um, things, all those things that you mentioned, you know, things like throw rugs, lighting, handrails, doors and windows, but very practical things. So there's three... Um, chapters on that family yeah. bathrooms you know. yeah, big signs on the bathrooms <laughs> one of our contributors who has become a real dear friend of ours cynthia hewling hummel who is herself living with alzheimer's and is still doing part-time pastoring one of the things that, that she told us is something that sounds very simple uh and yet is not widely utilized which is just simply name tags and not the first week name tags every single time because she says you know it takes her six to eight times of meeting a person before she remembers who they are and she wants to know who she's talking to um, the same kind of thing you were talking about the sound and, and the noise and the confusion and that kind of stuff um, it's very easy for her to get overstimulated and just shut down nothing's going on at that point so yeah all of those, those are some of the kinds of practical sort of things that if you haven't experienced it you just don't know that stuff but it's very very important you know a lot of times there's coffee afterwards marking labeling well cream sugar what's caffeinated decaffeinated all of those it, it's it's very little simple things that don't cost money but you know just 
take us to slow down the name take things we do in our memory cafe and one of the things that we found out there was that they they liked the the permanent name tag you know that they could clip on and they said it made us feel really part of the group newbies get a peel and stick but you know once it, you know the next time they come they get a plastic one and it, you know or or i would imagine other things too like a lot of times with groups um and again i'll use our memory cafe as an example but i could see this happening in church too is we would think as facilitators, we have to have the room set up, we have to do all this stuff. And it's just like, and then all of a sudden, we stopped and said, oh my gosh, we're taking their purpose away. They want to help. They want to be a greeter. They want to be involved in, in you know, really meshing those things together and looking at it much greater than just a service. This is an event in their life that they want to, they want to be purposeful in not just get something but they always want to give back as well and i think we forget that way too much absolutely right and and that is one of the major themes that emerged from so many of the different authors is we're not looking at providing services for it's not ministry for it's with and people may need a little help. Like, for example, uh, one author talks about some guy in his congregation had been an usher for many, many years. Well, he still wanted purpose and meaning. He wanted to contribute. He wanted to do something to help and be a part of things. He had to have somebody help him a little bit. But with a little bit of help, he could still do his job. And it was so important to him. Oh, exactly. Just like it is the rest of us. Absolutely. You know, we, we want to be, we want to be part. Now you have gotten such a range of contributing authors in this book from lay persons to people with dementia, to scholars, to bishops. How the heck <laughs> did you pull that all together? I'm going to throw it to Don first and then Linda, you can chime in. <laughs> I know. I'm going to throw it to Linda first. Well, you know, of course we started out, with our networks through us against Alzheimer's because we have um, we have the activist networks we have women against Alzheimer's we have clergy against Alzheimer's and we have the faith coalition which are you know clergy and the faith coalition are basically the same they are um, clergy laity and faith organizations so we opened the door there and um, and they shared it among and asked them to share it among their colleagues and their networks um, so that brought in quite a few, but not enough <laughs> and not diverse enough. Um, we were really um, determined to bring in the different faith traditions and cultural tr traditions and also to represent uh, the groups that are um, disproportionately impacted, such as veterans, uh, Latinos, African-Americans, um, Native Americans posed a huge problem for us to find a contributor. I mean, we went all the way up to um, the Department of Indian Affairs and out to Los Angeles to the School of Gerontology at UCLA. But um, we, um, we ended up finding contributors. Yeah, we ended up having just going fishing. Yeah, I mean, we sort of knew some of the things we wanted. We were both familiar with some of the, the names in the literature. And so we, we just contacted people and said, you want to do this? But I even advertised in the some kind of bulletin of Buddhist chaplaincy. Because <laughs> we, we wanted some Buddhists, and we got some. 
So we, we went looking for specific yeah. kind of people and, and uh, we asked people, you know, who would be the right person to talk to about this. So it just sort of grew upon itself. Well, I, I love that you went fishing, that you knew the importance of inclusion and, and diversity and the power within that. So kudos to you guys. Now, it, you know, the book kind of emerged with different themes throughout. Um, who wants to start with that one and, and talk a little bit about what somebody can expect when they pick up this book? Um, I'll, I'll let Don do a lot of talking, but I think one of the things that I uh, would start out with is we have an overriding theme. We actually wanted a different title for the book. We wanted to call it Soul Shine Forth. <laughs> and um, because what emerged as we began to receive contributions was um, this whole pattern of as people uh, connected, as those who were trying to serve those with dementia connected with those with dementia, the soul of the person with dementia just came out. And not only um, did it allow these uh, individuals to express themselves, to be validated, to continue their own spiritual journey, um, the person who was, quote unquote, the minister, received so much back in return. And so it was a mutual uh, caregiving. And um, Don had an expression about that, about, it, about the theme of souls shining forth being both a declarative and an imperative. Yeah, I mean, at first it hit us, okay, we're trying to say that uh, one, one of the major themes is that this is not a, an empty shell. This is not a person dying with dementia. This is a person living with dementia. The essence, the soul is still there. Maybe more difficult, and you may have some specialized knowledge that you need to connect, but the soul is still there to be connected with. Um, so we're very much talking about the, the soul of that person shining forth, and that's, that's a declarative sentence. But it's also an imperative sentence, we realize, that we're telling clergy, pastors, lay people, congregations, get out there and your soul shine forth with these people. What I like about that is we all make assumptions that they know that, just like the doctors know how to deal with a person with dementia, the medical field, and they don't. They, no. they need to be trained too. They need to learn. And, and so, you know, I guess I say to anybody listening here, share your story. It's powerful. And don't be embarrassed about it. One of the things that we were really happy about is, first, um, we had persons living with dementia to um, talk to us and tell us about their own spiritual and worship needs. People like Pastor Cynthia Hewling Hummel, like um, journalist Greg O'Brien, um, Jim Golly who um, is a Roman Catholic deacon. Um, Daisy um, Duarte, who is at risk with dementia. Um, and so we had five, um, five individuals to write those chapters and tell us what they were looking for from their faith communities. And one of the themes that kept coming back from them was, you know, we want to participate we still have a lot to do to give back. For instance, Cynthia runs um, a respite program um, 
Jim is visiting nursing homes, you know. So, I mean, they're all tremendous advocates, but they are also continuing to serve and to provide caregiving, not just receive caregiving. So it's a care partnership. And then um, in the next section, a number of our authors wrote about, quote unquote, the personhood of the clergy. And that was kind of the thing that you were just talking about. They basically shared with us how to prepare to enter that sacred space of communion. Yeah, the idea being you, you may have to do some changing in yourself, how you think of things, how you approach things. you got to be more open. you got to be more adaptable. you got to be more flexible, more spontaneous. you got to improvise. you got to question some of your basic assumptions about what this is that's going on. What, you got to laugh a whole lot. Um, don't expect things are going to be corrected or going to be correct all the time. Don't expect that uh, everything is going to go the way you want and you're going to have to go with the flow. You're going into someone's world and you know, you need to be a part of that world and accept things as they are there. And the stories are written with so much um, humor. It, it's, it's really quite lovely. Well, and I think one of the things too, when you're talking about routines and you know, we always think we know best of, of what's going on. And one of the things that I loved, and I, I can't remember who said this, but it was one of my dementia chats, um, people living with a diagnosis. They said, you know, uh, routines are great. And you think your routine's better than mine. <laughs> what? You need to come into my routine because yours isn't working and I don't know how to adjust. <laughs> so when I'm not able to adjust, that means you have to take a detour. Yeah, that's why that uh, that section where we have people who are living with dementia saying, the, the, "Here's where I'm at. This is what I experience. This is what it's like. If you, this is what I need. If you're going to address my needs, here's what you need to know to be able to do that." And we were very careful to keep those uh, chapters very much in the voice of those people. And so we told the editors for, at the publisher right from the very beginning, we want that left just the way it is. Don't mess with that. Some of the, the language may be a little idiosyncratic or whatever. Leave it like it is. One of the things we're really excited about um, and am surprised about is as we, we submitted the chapters as everyone had written them to our um, publisher, Jessica Kingsley, you know, they didn't change anything. I mean, that's what is so amazing to me. So our friends with dementia, um, they were telling us not just what they need from us, but um, they were also telling us what they still can do and what they are doing and how we can assist them with doing it and what they have to give to us. So that, that's a very powerful section of the book. Oh, definitely, definitely is. I was, um, when you were talking about, uh, you know, different communities doing different things, I don't know if you're familiar with uh, Freon Epps with the um, Faith Village Connection, and then also Linda Fizzle, if you're ever trying to connect with uh, the Native American, she's at the University of Minnesota here, fierce, fierce advocate, and she's just a doll. Uh, but there are so many people that I think are trying to do this, but they, like you said, they just don't know how to start. We've got a gal who was a music therapist here in Wyzetta, Minnesota, but she says, I, I, I want to, I want to minister. 
you know, through through music and combined. So she she's getting her her clergy license now, and going through that process. And she says, you know, I'm, I'm going to do this. And so it's it's a it's a very very important. I I think the other thing that is really I don't want to say misunderstood, but maybe not valued or we're not reading as much about it is everybody pretty much knows how powerful music is when it comes to dementia. Yes. But people don't understand that um, religion and spiritual routines and and songs and phrases are just as important. They they go way back in time with us, and so many such great grand comforts. And uh, and I think that people need to understand that more. Especially, I hear stories all the time of you know, well, you know, mom went to church, you know, almost every day. You know, it wasn't just on Sundays, um, but was an integral part. And that's that's a huge loss. So how do we how do we make that happen? How do we continue to to let them feel purposeful? Well, I just I, I I'm just so excited with what you're doing. But on top of that, you got some grand news today. Who wants to tell us about this? Um, well, I want to tell you about this. So um, this book, our our new book, um, we just learned today is published today, and it's called. Uh, Stolen Memories, an Alzheimer's Stole Ministry and Talent Initiative. And um, I've got a couple of Alzheimer's stoles here to show you. Oops, here's you, one. You, you talk, you talk, and I'll model. So, um, well, this came about a, a number of things led into it. <laughs> Don's going to stand up. No, he's not. Oh, he's not. Okay. Oh, yeah, Don's just wearing shorts. Okay. So, um, this came about, we were, obviously we were working on the dementia handbook last year. We also had a grant with, um, Cognitive Dynamics Foundation, that's Dr. Danny Potts, in which we, um, received funds to purchase resources. And so we bought books and DVDs and, um, probably about, um, well, t about $10,000 worth. <laughs> and we um, visited about 50 congregations. And um, we visited them to provide the congregational care staffs with resources and just to start the conversation. Because um, to me, that's one of the most important things you can do is just begin to talk about it. So in those, um, all those years that I was a caregiver for Richard, I didn't talk about it. But so anyway, as we were sitting in the pastor's offices, we saw their um, pastor stoles. And I'm a, a quilter, someone who's always been interested in fabric arts. And the pastors began to tell us the stories about their stoles. And we were just astonished because we were there to talk about how dementia steals memories and they were telling us about how these stoles held memories. And so um, I began to get the idea that we could use these as a really beautiful symbol for dementia-friendly faith communities. Like, wouldn't it be great if clergy members had a stole or a Jewish tablet that they wore um, in their congregations, like during Brain Awareness Month or National 
um, Alzheimer's Month or National Caregivers Month and just began to speak to their congregations. Or maybe they could wear them when they went to a conference to talk about spirituality and aging and dementia. Or maybe they could wear them when they went to visit their Congress people. So it was just like, here's a symbol of clergy advocates. And so um, I began to make stoles and give them away. And um, I've made and given away about 50. And so um, as I gave them to people, oh, and so I was making the stoles and then um, Rabbi Steve Glazer, um, one of our co-editors, says to me, well, Linda, how about making me a um, tallet? And I'm like, well, I, I, I can't, I don't know how to do that. You know, how do I do that? So um, at any rate, Steve walked me through it and um, we made stole-like tallets, tallettots. So um, anyway, that started it with photos of the clergy and their reflections and also instructions for others who want to sew, uh, sew these for clergy members. How beautiful. I, I even think of, and, and I don't know what they call them. I, I have a friend that makes them all the time, but the big banners and stuff that hang too from the churches, that would be really cool to do something specific there. Um, or I was thinking of the prayer shawls or the beads or even the the um, prayer or worry stones. People call them different things, but people use different different pieces to trigger different points and bring them calmness. Uh, you know, it's, it's very neat. I don't know if you're familiar with um, uh, Alzheimer's Music Connect, but they have religious music and stuff that people can, can purchase or download um, as well. And um, it, they've just found that to be extremely helpful for people who maybe can't make it to church, but still want some of that calming resolve in their, in their own home. Well, exciting time. So now where where can they get uh, Stolen Memories? Is that going to be on Amazon then too? Um, it's, it is going to be on Amazon. It's not quite there yet. Um, Barnes & Noble has it posted on their website, and they're actually um, offering a discount today of 30% to purchase it. So, um, yeah, so it, it'll be on Amazon very soon. Okay, wonderful. Well, I should ask Don, was there anything else that you wanted to add to that? Please start making your own because it takes her like two complete days to make one. <laughs> and she just is not going to be able to keep up. Do you have a pattern you can you can send people? Step-by-step instructions. Well, the book has 50 color pictures and step-by-step -step instructions with color photos. <laughs> oh, very neat. Very yeah. neat. Uh, now, Linda, you also wanted to give us a, an update on the, the Alzheimer's stamp. That has, I, I'm still amazed how much money that has raised, and this should just be a no-brainer to renew, but you know, give us an update and tell us what the heck we need to do so that, that those funds continue to roll in. Because I went to my post office just last week and they're like, we don't have those anymore. And I was like, what? You what? know, it, it's very discouraging. Um, they should be they should be in every post office. We, we have found that they are not. But they are online and it's really, really easy to order them online. Or by phone. And or you by can, phone. And you can ask your local post office to order them and it's just a question of their ordering them. But you can get them in the mail. Yeah. 
So when yeah. you order them online, they come in just a couple of days. Um, okay. But yeah, they've always had them before, so I was like, well, what happened to them? <laughs> I know, and they, the post office doesn't um, promote their products. You know, they have so many products, one over the other. So at any rate, you, you can order them, and I encourage people to do, because um, 500 million stamps were printed, and we've, on, we've only sold 6.7 million. But we have raised, 10 cents at a time, $915,000 for um, NIH-funded dementia research for care, prevention, and a cure. So um, the stamp... Uh, will be pulled from sales in November unless it's reauthorized and extended through legislation. So about a week ago, um, legislation was introduced in both the House and in the Senate to extend sales of the stamp for six years. But it's like every other um, advocacy. You have to ask your representatives to co-sponsor the legislation. And it's easy to do, you know, you can go to your representative's um, website, type in your zip code, and click on the contact me button and send a note. It's, it's really, really easy, but it's really vital to do so. Otherwise, they don't, they don't know. They don't yeah, know and what this we're doing. Is, it's, it's not controversial. It's nonpartisan, much less bipartisan. Uh, there, it doesn't cost the taxpayers a cent. It's totally voluntary. If the individual person wants to buy the stamps, they do. Um, so everybody wins on this. And, you know, 10 cents at a time, it can make some significant uh, contributions to all that money goes directly to the NIH for research into dementia. The breast cancer stamp uh, first came out in 1998 and has been renewed continuously. And, um, They've raised $89 million for breast cancer research and made incredible strides in prevention and cure. And, and we certainly don't use the meal like we once did, but we do use the meal, you know. And um, the other thing that, I, that we have heard so much from people is how meaningful it is for them to use a stamp in honor of someone they have lost um, or someone living. And we also hear from elders who receive mail how valuable it is to get a postcard or a letter in the mail. So anyway, buy the stamp and ask your representatives to extend sales. You know, I, just to add one more thing on your plate, but um, what, what might be really interesting to do, Linda, is if there was like a meme of the stamp and then link it to where they purchase stamps, and if we get that circulating on the internet, there might be a surge on that. Because, you know, again, I, I, you know, I pretty much pay all my bills online like most people do and, and don't use the stamps. But I can tell you, and my, my granddaughters will attest to it, we're always running to the post office because we're sending cards to people who are ill or people who are caring for them, um, you know, birthdays, things like that. But we do use them, especially when you are dealing with uh, an illness that's this grave. Um, you're, you're looking at different ways to try to build people up, and, and sending a card is a really 
nice way to be able to do and a lot of seasonals kind of stuff too like christmas cards or mother's day or that kind of stuff so graduations yep yeah i remember um with my late husband richard you know he was in assisted living and um he had some lovely friends who did not forget him and sent him mail and those um envelopes were stuffed in his pockets you know shirt pocket or pants pocket and he kept pulling them out and showing them to me yeah yeah really important stuff and again it doesn't have to take a lot of time or cost a lot of money to integrate things like this that are important to us but sometimes people just have to be reminded this is just another way that they can that they can contribute thank you so much what a great conversation like i said you guys are movers and shakers and we covered a lot of ground and we could probably talk all day now, we've listed your email addresses for people to get a hold of you. So along with Faith United Against Alzheimer's uh, Network, and, um, and then I've got the Amazon link for, you know, your book, Dementia Friendly Worship. It's probably also important to say that, that uh, we don't benefit from this personally, that uh, we don't get the profits. Uh, we did this in conjunction with Us Against Alzheimer's. So that money will be used for advocacy. Oh, yeah. yeah. Both of the books, all of the profits are going to us against Alzheimer's. Oh, okay. Wonderful. Yeah. Well, great organization. You know, <laughs> you, you definitely picked a winner there. Again, thank you so much and um, look forward to your continued effort. Hi, I'm Lori LeBay, and I wanted to tell you about Alzheimer's Speaks, which is another great podcast. You see, my own mother lived with dementia for 30 years, and I felt lost. Did you know every three seconds someone in the world is being diagnosed with dementia? Odds are it's going to hit your families too. We want to help you connect to services, products, tools, research, and stories so you can be prepared. Please subscribe to Alzheimer's Speaks on your favorite podcast platform.